Hi, and welcome to the Drum Podcast on Everything Negotiations with your host, Mike Lander. The aim of our show is to give you practical negotiation insights from global marketing industry experts. We're all about actionable insights. We want you to take away one or two things per episode that can help you move the ball forward in your business. We really hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe and keep coming back for more. So Dan, thank you ever so much for agreeing to come on this podcast. Uh, it's all about kind of negotiations, uh, the ups and downs, probably more of the downs and more of the stories. Do you want to just like introduce yourself, first of all, uh, about your background, who you are? For sure. Um, lovely to lovely to be here. Thank you for, for inviting me. I'm always happy to sort of chat about stuff. Um, I'm Dan. I'm what am I now? I'm now worldwide chief exec and one of the founders of Creature. Um, we'll talk about this, but Creature was uh, an independent place that we set up in a slightly fascinating fashion in and of itself about 11 years ago. Yep. Um, and we were acquired recently uh, earlier this year by um, a Dutch platform called Candid. Um, and yeah, it's it's fair to say there's been more than a bit of negotiation in, in <laughs> last 11 years. I would imagine. So let's just kind of like talk through um, some of the highlights and some of the lowlights, probably around procurement. So as you know, I'm an ex-procurement director. So yep. I used to work with private equity as a buyer uh, on the buy side for portfolio companies, um, which uh, if people met me back in the day when I was doing that role. Yeah, I was, if you looked at collaborative versus competitive negotiation styles, I was probably more competitive. And there was a very particular reason for that, which was around, were there to drive the EBITDA? You know, we were there to drive quality. You couldn't drive EBITDA at the expense of quality. That's not allowed. So it had to be sustainable quality, um, making the pie bigger for suppliers where we can, but getting really good commercial deals. So what's your experience of dealing with, you know, people like me in my old uh, role? God, there's an hour just on some of the words <laughs> you just used. Um, that probably it, is, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a funny. It's a. I mean, I should say a very positive hour, um, which isn't always the case. Um, no, it's a funny one. I think I'm I'm a slightly rare beast in rare beast. The rare old fish maybe is is less self-aggrandizing um, in this world. In that I, I've always felt that my industry's attitude towards procurement is slightly self-defeating. Um, yes, I would agree. I think, I think when it when it comes to negotiation, there are there are sort of two key things. One one is, you know, there's no point entering a negotiation that you're not prepared to walk away from. Um yep. otherwise otherwise you're just sort of killing time until you until you lose, as it were. Yep. Um but the other is to flip that, I I I've never believed but losing, it, by the way, Dan, I think losing also is winning the deal. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I, I I'll come back to that because um, I think it's it's a sort of it's because the other thing is I, I don't believe there's any value in going into a negotiation thinking that the person you're talking with or the organisation you're talking with is is bad or yes. wrong. Um, and I think I one of my earliest experiences of, of procurement negotiation with Creature, um, I won't name names or clients, no. um, but there there was one sort of wonderful moment in the initial pitch meeting. Uh, bearing in mind, we started Creature London quite early um we were we were fairly youthful shall i say um and uh, there was a moment in the first pitch meeting where at the end the the person running procurement um and you know there there, there were some very <laughs> gendered traits in the way i'll just say the way he behaved um yeah. sort of came up to him was like i need to know who'll be handling the procurement negotiations side of things and i a sort of a relatively fresh-faced 30 year old went oh i will and yeah. he went oh <laughs> right I was like, okay. I bet you felt great. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that meeting went well, but okay. Exactly. Um, but then we, we had a sort of a follow-up and literally the first thing he said to me was, I know how this works. It's your job to get as much past me as possible. And it's my job to catch you out. And I just, wow, even that's a very I was a very, start. well, I, it, it was an incredibly combative, negative, and frankly, kind of tedious start. Exactly. I was like, that's not really how how this works, and it means no. this is going to be miserable from the start. And that's I kind not of think value creation at all. No, and I, I sort of my my point of view has always been that you know people talk a lot about trust having to be earned. I kind of think mistrust needs to be earned a bit as well. And I just I just kind of thought, well, God, this this is exhausting. Before we've started, before we've had a proper conversation, we've decided the tone, or you've decided the tone of this, and it and it's not going to be fun. Um, and I think. It just didn't really fit, and it's never really fitted with how I how I view this. And like, as I said, the sort of the old fish element is that I've I have some of my best friends work in procurement, uh, which sounds <laughs> like a lie. But I genuinely I have some very good friends in procurement because um, I can trace it all back to an IPA conference a decade ago when Ian Priest was still in charge. And okay, one of his things was around commercials, one of his strands of his um, of his of his pledge, and he had a, a procurement conference. And I just remember sitting in this room while all of these incredibly important influential guys who ran Omnicom who blah blah blah, just moaned and moaned about procurement being mean and moaned about procurement driving down the margins and there are two sides to that right one one is the positive side which is that if you get procurement right it drives efficiencies efficiencies are brilliant because I don't want to see money wasted anymore exactly money wasted I want better stuff that costs less so that we can put more money into making it even better but the other side was just this weird sort of defeatist kind of pathetic Oh, the the mean kids have stolen my lunch. And yeah, exactly. the worst thing was I was I was sitting there as you know, the I was in chief exec, I think I could still call myself a managing partner at the time of a of a small independent who knew full well that if we pitched against these guys, they would slash their rates in a heartbeat if it meant the business came through the door. And it it just that sort of attitude spoke to a kind of total lack of communal responsibility of yeah. this whole system working is up to all of us. It was it was sort of both needy and antagonistic at the same time. And I just kind of put my hand up because I'm not very good at not putting my hand up and said, this this just feels really lame. Like, wh- why are we doing this confrontational good guy, bad guy, one side, other side, when yep. actually we all want the same thing here, which is a well-running industry that makes great work, that piles profits back into our clients so that they can then be piled back into us so we can keep driving this this thing um yeah. and i remember afterwards just a couple of people malik Akhtar, who uh, is a buyer still he's he's now moved into he's moved away from marketing services but he's still a sort of a senior guy in the procurement world coming up to me after and they're going no nobody's ever nice about us <laughs> nobody, <laughs> ever, nobody ever stands up for procurement <laughs> yeah i don't know i just i don't know i didn't really see it as standing up for procurement i guess i, I saw it as the first step in getting to a better result, and yeah. and it's not I a race to the bottom. No, well, it, it can't be. And when and when it when it starts to become that, which it sometimes does, right? Because not everybody on either side of the equation is is brilliant at this. And I think there have been some fairly disastrous innovations, sort of live auctions with with multiple. Oh agents. my god! Reverse all auctions. All of wow. that stuff makes my. And I think it's why what I, what you said at the very beginning about um, sustainable profit and sustainable efficiency was so that that's it that's everything right there and often it's not it's people who are absolutely looking to to um, improve the EBITDA by making costs in a world they don't necessarily understand exactly but then just before I become cliched agency chief exec they're then sitting opposite people who 
have decided they don't like them, have decided that they're just trying to take the agency's money away. And it becomes this this weird, combative, aggressive, slightly macho yeah. nonsense that, that that leaves nobody as, as well off as, as they might have been. I mean, I mean, interesting. I wrote a, um, so I think I was saying before, Dan, so that this is, as I thought it would be, fascinating because I want to talk to sellers and buyers about yeah. how that kind of dynamic works in the negotiation. And having been an ex-buyer and now working with sellers, um, yeah. I wrote this thing called the Procurement Success Equation. And of all the content right. I've written, I've written loads of content, as you have, um, yeah. some stuff sticks in people's minds. Yeah. And when I talk about, there are broadly six factors about why or how procurement becomes successful. Yes, there's savings, savings and ROI, absolutely. But there's innovation, yeah. there's quality, there's reliability, there's sustainability and inclusion. Yeah. And on the bottom line, so you add all those up, but then you divide it by risk. And what I think a lot of agencies don't fully engage with is the risk profile. If I mm -hmm. think your agency is too risky, reputational risk, operational risk, financial risk, then as an enterprise, how am I going to buy you? And yep. that I don't think often gets negotiated appropriately. So what's your kind of view on, on the success equation? I think I mean it's I, I think it sounds fascinating. I think risk is such a is such a powerful word. Um and it it has to be at the root of all partnership, right? Yeah. And and partnership is kind of what good procurement processes, what good agency client relationships, whether it's with marketing or procurement or whoever, need needs to be rooted in. And I think people talk very glibly about risk and reward, and actually a huge amount of focus is put on reward without opening yourselves up to some risk. <laughs> It's funny, we're, go, we're going through something at the moment, a sort of a quite fast turnaround pitch with a, a startup with big ideas, huge kind of incredible credentials in terms of where the people have come from. Um, and they have requested a, uh, a commercial proposal as part of our overall proposal, which could, with slightly different nuance and slightly different inflection, have been an absolute disaster. Like right. there, there is a world in which this is written um, in a way that says... We haven't got much money, but we will in the future. So we need you to work for free until we can afford to pay you. And that's not good. That's no. not good. And that's not okay. <laughs> Particularly not, you know, at the moment, there is not much money. I'm running a business. I have people who look to me to make sure they're okay. And we need to make sure we continue yeah. to be a viable business. And just drawing down on your balance sheet to do that on your cash, your cash yeah. reserves is not good business. No. Um, the joy of this was that it wasn't phrased like that at all. It was framed in a very... Uh, this is the reality of my situation. And yep. at the moment, all of this is my money. When we get to this stage, it won't be. You can't work for free, nor can I ask you to take a hit on this, but I want to work with agency partners who can demonstrate that they're as invested in this as I am and who believe in this as much as I do. And all the rest. And all of a sudden, you're not being asked to, to tick some boxes, nor are you being asked to slip into a kind of a prefab straitjacket that's been yep. designed for you. You're being asked to co-create, right? You're being asked to go, this is a model that's really exciting. And this yeah. is a model where when you win, we win. And if exactly. we win, it's because you're winning and everything comes together. Um, and obviously, there has to be a degree of if what we do doesn't work, yeah, then then we don't get paid as much for it. Um, and sure. that We don't get paid nothing. You can't oh, have no, a... No. And it's, that, it, it's the balance. It, it's risk and reward. I think people are too glib about it. They're way too glib. You know, yeah. if it doesn't work, well, as a client, if I was in my old role, that's partly my responsibility. If you failed, it's not just down to you. It's normally down to me as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I also, though, do think that if we as agencies want to be taken seriously as business, as commercial partners, 
we have to believe that what we do is going to work. Absolutely. Um, I think too often there is an instinctive, and I think this this isn't necessarily rooted in in kind of uh, insecurity. At least if it is, it's also rooted in mistrust. Yep. There is this insistence that we can't possibly do anything differently now because I need to get paid immediately. Whereas if we want, as I believe they should, clients to view marketing as an investment, advertising as an investment, money spent with us as money that's going to come back bigger than it went out. Exactly. We, we have to back ourselves on that. And I think yeah. it's another one of those weird dichotomies, weird sort of slightly split personality things where agencies will absolutely bemoan the fact that you know we're not invited into the big rooms anymore and nobody takes us seriously as business partners anymore but then behave sometimes in ways that are just just aggressively anti-commercial if you know what i mean and you know there's something incredibly exciting if your mindset's right about sitting on a call with somebody who has walked away from a high power a high powered successful job at global brand a to set up what will hopefully one one day be brand of note that people talk about that's yeah. brilliant and i you know for obvious reasons have huge affinity with that exactly for me to then sit there and go oh yeah but Bernice, that was your call risk is yours dave we're doing yeah. it our way. that doesn't it doesn't work um and but th- th- but as you say that's not about us sort of prostrating ourselves desperately and saying whatever it takes we'll do it it's about no. us building a model that is exciting and thus a bit risky for everyone but pays back as and when it it sort of is, is proved to be right which yeah which I get, I get really excited about. I think my, it's funny, way back when I, I sort of referenced before we started this the fact that there's been quite a lot of negotiation in Creature, um, which I'll, I'll, I'll come to. I'll come um, to next. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think as a kind of, I remember, and it's funny, I found myself talking about our lawyer a lot recently. Um, she's brilliant. She's been a lawyer for over a decade. She's still our lawyer. Um, she's it's incredible but i remember her once saying to me that um the mark of a good negotiation is that both parties walk away from the table slightly dissatisfied and i i didn't like that (laughs) like that i i was like that i don't think that can be right surely there has to be a world in which we can mark a good negotiation by everybody walking away from the table excited yeah um and i think that having yielded on certain things and having gained in other areas so for example I don't believe, I think it's completely not a BS, win-win negotiations. 98% of negotiations are not win-win. Someone typically is claiming more value than the other person. It just yep. is. And I, this is because, yes, I agree. I think my point is maybe more emotional, which, again, as you get to know me better, you'll recognize yeah. is kind of my thing. But of course there has to be yield because otherwise you're not listening and nobody's and you know forget forget negotiation that's there's no partnership like we talk a lot the art of good partnership isn't always agreeing it's disagreeing well and i think that applies to negotiation yeah if you're yielding stuff it has to be because you're excited about the upside of that yield right yes exactly and and i think a world in which every negotiation has to end with both parties going is just a bit sad <laughs> I, I sort of i sort of don't buy that i think if you know there, there there have to be limits as i said if you're not prepared to walk away it's not negotiation you're just killing time until you until yeah. you do get but if if there are lines that you know you won't cross and lines that you're very happy to cross then it's all about the tone of it and it's the difference between walking yeah. into a negotiation and saying our end goal here is the same we want to build something bigger and better by by agreeing something together versus you're trying to get stuff past me and I'm trying to catch you out and exactly. at the end of the day we'll be knackered and one of us will have won. Yeah. Like I just I, I'm I trying to bury things in the contract that are going to trip you up. 
It's like no, the last one to help anyone. No, no, it's very sad. Very sad when that happens. Um, and touch wood, I haven't had too much of that in 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 life thus far. Um, I was thinking actually before before I came on the call that I've been very lucky. I think in that the vast majority of negotiations I've had to do, I've actually either really or at least quite liked the person I'm negotiating with or the people right. that I'm negotiating with. Um, and that, you know, there's definitely a degree of that, which is I try very hard to make these things positive because I think I think these conversations tend to go better, as I say, if, if they're rooted in how yeah. can we smash this versus how can we smash each other. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, cause it, to go back to the creature thing, uh, we, we set Creature London up in a slightly odd way. Um, there was There was already a creature in Seattle um, which was had been set up, God, two thousand and five or so, by two very lovely, um, very talented men called Jim and Matt, who said they would uh, basically build a business gradually and organically, and then won a big Microsoft project, um, which meant they needed right. a London base. Um, the deal that they came to us with, that they found us with, was if you can turn London into a proper agency, then you can have half of it. Uh, that was quite easy because we were kids and thought that was just an insanely good deal. Um, yeah. People were mad to offer us. Half of something them- big is better than all of something nothing. Oh, massive. Well, that's, again, <laughs> that's, that's something I've come to realise very acutely. That didn't work out as we hoped it would um, for various reasons. No, nobody at fault. But basically, about two years in, we ended up negotiating our exit. Um, okay. So we first of all negotiated down to a kind of minority holding for them, and then bought them out um, six months later. Um, and that was that was a, a fascinating experience because you know I'd I'd done a fair bit of procurement negotiation by that point, but there's a big difference between negotiating a uh, sort of rate card for a three-month creative project versus (coughs) negotiating shareholdings with um, international shareholders and lawyers and and all the rest of it. Um, And it was, in many ways, a kind of a a joyful learning experience, partly because, as I said, we knew where our lines were. um, And so it it made certain conversations that could have been tricky if we were pretending much easier because we could just go, no. Just talk about that for a second, Dan, about the kind of the lines. Um, Obviously, you'd prepared. Yes. And the lines weren't, it wasn't um, unidimensional, as in, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't the price. There were many no. things that you'd kind of worked out, all these things into play, and you'd drawn a line about, well, if it goes beyond here, we can't do a deal. Is that broadly? Yeah, it, 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 it is. And I think our sort of, my experience is the simpler you keep those sorts of things, the better. Um, it's, probably, it's, probably, it's probably easier to talk about the recent acquisition more in terms of that, not least because it was last year and earlier this year so i remember yes. it better um but i think one of one of the so gosh where to start so 10 years ago the aforementioned lawyer um when we sort of worked with her to to negotiate our way, negotiate our way um to independence yeah she said right um you're exciting you're winning things you're new you're young there's the mother background so ben and Stu, my partner ben and Stu and ed um the, the three um, guys that i set it up with have come from mother people are excited about this wow. unless you get this very wrong you're likely to have questions about about acquisition about merger about something at some point yeah. a really useful exercise is to sit down now and write what you want that to look like so write yes. your kind of what you'd be looking for should you ever go to market, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and she said, you know, it, it's like when you go to buy a house, you may well forget about these rules the second you walk into somewhere and fall in love with it, but it's really helpful to have them. Um, yeah. And actually the, the things we wrote down were 
um, something that makes uh, that protects the brand and ideally gives us some degree of ownership, something that feels like the start of something rather than the end of something, um, and something that makes Creature feel bigger rather than smaller, um, which is like a very high-level thing. So this yeah. wasn't about price. This wasn't any of that. And guiding uh, principles. Was, exactly. Um, and I think having those was incredibly helpful. The second thing that was incredibly helpful when it came to the uh, initial, and in fact, on you know the, the rest of the conversations with Candid, was that we weren't looking to sell. Um, yes. And I think it, it's really easy to say that. And I don't think anyone fully believes me, um, but but it, it, it's 100% true to, to the point where leaping on your um, 50% of something is, is something big is worth significantly more than 100% of something that's not working. Yep. We, we made three new shareholders last September. So um, in Creature... London Limited, as as it was, fully independent. Yep. We brought Andrew Gibson, who's our CSO, Anisha Katecha, who's our Chief Client Officer, and um, Sean Welsh, who's our she's now our Group FD, um, into the fold as shareholders, not options or EMIs or anything like that, just proper full equ- equity holders. And then about three weeks later, I got an email from the M&A guy saying, <laughs> I'm representing some interesting people. Would you be up for a chat? So, so we really, really weren't looking no. to, to do this. Um, However, Dan, were you prepared? So I think there's a world of difference between having the option to sell one day in the future yeah. um, versus, well, something just turned up. And we were prepared for that event should it happen, I, a data room. We'd built some kind of data room. So we knew if we had the option, it was real. Did, did that go through your mind or? Oh, Lord, no. I mean, that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> like a really good idea. So, you know, don't get me wrong. We were, as any medium-sized independent agency that had just gone through COVID, et cetera, would be. We were very on top of our numbers. We were very yes. on top of our business. Our business structure means um, just the way we're set up. We're, we're, this was the irony of that first conversation with the, um, the procurement guy was, we're incredibly transparent. We have no in-house studios. We have no in-house that because we never wanted to be a forced to take on briefs that we didn't really like because we had to feed that part of the machine. Yeah, yeah. We certainly didn't want to have to say no to briefs we did like because we needed to feed that part of the machine. So we were a very clean business. Like our our data room that we did then build as part of the process was a very streamlined, simple thing. But no, I'm I'm really not exaggerating when I say that we weren't looking for it. Like we we were prepared in principle should something come along. Yeah, but yeah. You know, when this email came through, I replied saying, to be totally upfront, not interested, not looking to sell, um, just made shareholders. We have a plan. It's going to be amazing. Um, obviously, up for a coffee if, if that's of interest. But I want to say now, I don't want to waste anyone's time. Um, and then I, I met I met the man, and what he talked about sounded eerily close to the thing we described in our kind of our, our principles. Um, right. And I came out of that meeting, and I, I was going for lunch with Ben, and I called Stu and said, and again, nobody believes this bit because it sounds like something an idiot would make up, but I called <laughs> Stu and said, I think I've just had a meeting that might change our lives. Um, again, huge naivety in that, right? Because I had no idea how fragile an agency acquisition process is. I had no Absolutely. idea. How I had that sort of the, the confidence and bombasticness of a someone who's running an agency that he's incredibly proud of, but also b someone who's who's genuinely not that bothered if it doesn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah. What scale were you out of interest? Uh, we were. Ish. Uh, Ish, we were about 45 people, um, okay. revenue, revenue 4.55-ish, at about 15 to 20% margin. We'd had a really good year. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. Okay, good like this, this, 
this was not for any of us a sort of a distressed let's get out thing it was a we like i said we had a plan we were ready to go and then the sort of we had that meeting we had another meeting we met the guys from candid um and it all just became incredibly exciting and it really did tick all but when, when we first showed joe our lawyer those she in a very sort of encouraging way went sure good good luck with that because <laughs> uh, i don't think that sort of thing does come along that often yep but probably <clears throat> something that allows you to pretend it's that sort of thing comes along a bit but then again it, it, the liberation of entering these negotiations going if this is really right amazing and if it's not quite right then it's not right and we'll just carry on doing exactly what we were doing and it, it meant that a my focus could be on let's do this well and do this quickly because this isn't something we've been planning for for three years this isn't the chance we can't let go of this yeah. is a thing we'll focus on it if it works amazing if it doesn't then we get back get back on with what we were doing but and you know just having I, even, I don't even want to describe it as a lever to pull because it wasn't that makes it sound really kind of deliberate and engineered but just being able to say we weren't looking for this and we don't need this so this has to be right for all of us again the joy of that deal and this gets back to the sort of finding a perspective that makes it a positive win-win type of situation for everyone the way that candid work and what candid wanted from us and from you know as i, I discovered after the fact that they wanted from brand potential and positive the other agencies that they had either already acquired or in the process of acquiring it, it came together perfectly like they wanted us to feel bigger they wanted us to feel like it was the start of something they wanted to elevate it and that again if you can sort of align your ambition and principles at the start yep. then all of the, all of the little niggly bits yeah remain as little niggly bits rather than becoming the thing and i think in you know in the occasion where i have had should we say less pleasant and almost certainly less successful negotiations in the last decade it's where the little niggly bits become the thing and you you find that you are you're just talking about the rate here or the overhead here yeah and you've forgotten you've forgotten what it's what it's for um and, what and again, the style down on that negotiation in many there's lots of frameworks i'm an ex-consultant so i can't help having frameworks i like yes. boxes yeah. um <laughs> <there's> a, <laughs> it's part of my nature um but there's a was it both collaborative so we obviously you're a very collaborative negotiator i can tell from the way that you talk yeah did you find your counterparty on that deal was also in the same mindset was that part of the magic about why the deal worked yeah i think i think so it was also it was very clean um because I think they um, operate separately. So they, they had sort of Rude and Gerard, Rude's the CEO, Gerard's the chairman. Yeah, we sort of picked everything off. And then they had people who looked after the detail and the, the nuts and bolts of it, which was a really lovely system because it meant if ever the nuts and bolts felt like they were getting in the way of the bigger thing, then Rude and I could have a, a yeah. heads up. This is the chat. This is where we want to go. Which oh, they don't they integrate, do they? They don't integrate their acquisitions from, uh, is that all right? So you're held, you're, you're held as separate businesses under yes. an umbrella. Yes, precisely that. So, and again, this is part of the thing that made it incredibly exciting is Creature is now bigger than it was and yeah. has a you know a more sort of jet-fueled future than it did. But actually from a from a philosophy, from a attitude, from a way we carry ourselves point of view, we're we're still the same. Um yeah. and again, there's stuff you can't fake, right? It doesn't matter how collaborative you are. If if this negotiation had been happening with a more traditional holding company that sort of said nice things, but I knew deep down really wanted to wanted to fit us in, wanted to, you know, make turn us into one of those And we know who they are. We don't have to name yeah. them. But there are yeah. <laughs> there are companies that have a buy and build strategy 
They'll acquire 10 or 15 businesses a year and they'll set aggressive burnout targets and might work, might not, but it's just part of a very big machine. Exactly. And I, I think that sort of everything about this structure was designed to um was designed to achieve what we wanted to achieve. And this is where I, you know, please don't think I'm I'm gonna in any way claim to be a genius at this stuff. I just was very lucky in that we had clear principles and clear red lines, if you like, and then a situation that fitted perfectly with what we wanted and how we wanted to do it came along. Yeah. Um, I think, and this is going to sound glib, but again, it, it was very true. I, When we stood up, we thought a lot about how we tell the agency about this stuff, because again, one of the facets of whether this is a successful negotiation or not is not just about whether Ben, Stu, Gibbo, Hanisha, Sean, and I are happy about it. The whole agency needs to feel excited because, you know, I don't... I don't do all the work. The agency is part is what makes this amazing. And if they're not as excited the day after this announcement as they were the day before, then we have a problem. Yep. And I think often often you do see that. I think that that side of the negotiation is forgotten. And, um, and that's the fragility, Dan, you mentioned. You know, yeah. agencies are very fragile because I mean I've been been in professional services wow, 25, 30 years. Yeah. And it's the people. You're yeah. buying the magic, you're buying the people. And if the deal structure and negotiation kills the magic, people walk, and the talent's in the people. And you you see it so often, sadly, with kind of multi-year earnout structures, yes. where the agency that everyone fell in love with just slightly disappears, and yeah. understandably, because suddenly the, the focus of the partners, the focus of the founders, is totally different. They're, they are on you know back to the original thing they turn into the very worst of procurement people because yes. they're not looking at quality they're not looking at sustainable anything they're looking at stripping out every cost they can so they hit the numbers they hit so that they exactly make and i for it's worth i get that like i don't blame those individuals like i've i ran an independent agency through brexit i ran it through various different political trials and tribulations people earn that money right like when when they exactly sell right. they that is money earned it's it, it's often sort of written about as if it's a kind of you know, someone's shaking a magic money tree and everyone gets to have a, a, a money fight. And you take and the risk, Dan. In yes. 2011, when you started the business, my father-in-law, very seasoned dealmaker for many, many, many years, and he, he had this phrase, I was over dinner one evening and I was like, spat my wine out. But it made perfect sense, which he says, you know, many people will join you at the finishing line mm. wanting a piece of what you're going to get. They forget the 11 years of risk that you took and the no salary, and yep. the, as one of my clients said, their first office had no power, no running water. They went to a kind of Pete's Hut for lunch because it had toilets. They forget all that. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. they just want a part of the action at the end. It's like, well, it doesn't work that way. No, it's very fair. Going, going back to that first ever conversation in the client meeting room with the guy, the procurement guy who was amused that I'd be the child he was talking to, what he didn't, <laughs> what he didn't know. And I think still doesn't know is that I left that office and I went on the train. I opened my laptop and cracked out the spreadsheets that were our company books at the time and started yes. doing the forecast for the rest of the year to make sure we could hit payroll because we didn't have anyone, didn't have anyone to do any of that. So I, I don't, like I say, I don't blame the people who strike a deal that involves earnouts for their attitude changing because there is no world in which they should be expected to protect this thing to their own detriment no. just because it feels right exactly but I, do, I do have a fundamental issue with those sorts of deals for precisely that reason and again back to the win-win thing i think that's lose-lose because yeah. 
people are buying a thing and that thing is is kind of destroying itself to try and look after and ah um and i think it's i sort of have jokes about this but i was able to stand up in front of the agency tell them all why this was a brilliant thing and why they should be excited and again glib every single thing i said was the truth yeah. and you know if we'd uh, and don't get me wrong, this was never on the cards. But if Accenture had come along and offered us fifty million, we'd probably have taken it because that's more money than any of us will ever see. Yeah. And I'd have, I'd have found a decent story to tell the agency yeah. about why they should be excited, but it probably wouldn't have been quite as rooted in the truth as the one that no, we were fortunate enough not. to be able to tell. Um, and again, you know, back to, to bring it back to negotiation and not just me banging on. Truth is is so important in this stuff. Like, you know, the old the old thing of the best way to avoid getting caught out in a lie is not to tell any. Exactly. I think with negotiation, in as in as much as you can be truthful and honest and and avoid the bluff, it's just that much easier. Um, again, it can't always happen like that. And there has to be a degree of brinkmanship from time to time. There has to be a degree of well, you know, sod it, let's 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 go all in and see what happens. Um, and in, in the candid thing, the joy of that was because we weren't looking for it. And again, we're human. We weren't looking for it, but the excitement builds, right? As yeah, it gets it does. to being right, it's very hard to remember that you weren't looking for this and you can happily walk away at any point. So Dan, I'll ask you a question. I don't yeah. know if you'll I don't know if you'll answer it. We'll find out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you tell me to get lost. Yeah. Um was there a moment in the deal with Candid? It's nothing commercial, just yeah. about principle. Was there a moment when you kind of th- crossed the threshold and you became what I would call emotionally wedded to the outcome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I, and again, I, I, I love, I love the, the framing of that because, because there, there really was. Um, and I remember talking to, I think it was Stu that I talked to about it. Um, and again, transparency among partners yeah. on our side right me saying i've i've got to be honest with you my position has changed slightly on this now because i really want it to happen i like right. this this is now a we've been on this journey we've done it right this is an incredibly exciting thing um and if we do this that may be the end of it we have to be prepared for that um and this this was obviously in the exactly. more nuts and bolts of it, which is where i'm going to stop yeah and not, not reveal yeah that moment that's really important as a principle. If we yeah. do this, that won't happen. Yes. And we and then want we, that to happen. That's the thing. And, and it, what we had to, and this is where I've always been incredibly lucky in that, you know, I've never done this on my own, right? Like, don't get me wrong, Ben and Stu are, are supremely talented creatives and I don't want to waste their time having them in negotiating rooms. Yeah, exactly. More frankly than they want to waste their time drowning in spreadsheets. But having them as trusted partners, friends, etc to be able to bounce stuff off because this conversation with Stu was a really quick one because it was just like I know this is the right thing to do this is what we should do I just need I need you to know that the voice in me that's telling me not to do this is a voice that just wants this to happen regardless and I just need you to say we trust you do it do it and if it doesn't happen because of that then that's fine and we'll all crack on with it yeah yeah, Um, but they trust you then we and we uh, yeah and and we did um and I think it's funny, I had a, a conversation, and I, I wrote about this in my, my creative review piece, but I had a conversation with Alex Hess, who at the time was a CSO of DDB, global CSO of DDB. Um, he's just, he's a friend. And talking about this very off the record um, and just saying, is is this the right thing to do? And I wouldn't characterize it as a wobble so much as a sense check that I wasn't just in a exactly. bubble of excitement sort of piling on. And I was like, I, you know, because things were going brilliantly and... Is this 
oh, what if this is wrong? And he just said, listen, there's, there's no way this can be wrong. You have an incredible story. You, you've built something that is now worth something to strangers. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So don't worry about whether this is wrong or right. Focus on doing it right. And that again was the hugely kind of liberating power, empowering Very good advice. Yeah, he's he's a smart cookie. So conscious of your time, Dan. It's tw- yes. you know, we're we're nearly kind of at the end of our of our journey of, of discussion. Yeah. Just like kind of if you were speaking to agency owners, if you were sat having breakfast with ten agency owners, and they're all yeah. like kind of 30, 40, 50 uh, people agencies. What would your three kind of pieces of broad advice be around negotiations of any type, be it selling your business or negotiating procurement? What would the kind of top three things on your head be? Off the top of my head, I think going into it, looking for a, a sort of a positive outcome with aligned ambition rather than looking for a win, I think yeah. is, is just attitudinally the, the way to start. I think being as clear as is humanly possible on what you want at a high level um because it's just it's so so valuable to be able to um <clears throat> lift your head back up and and because the, the granular stuff is rubbish right in a good negotiation or a bad negotiation it's yeah. rubbish and it's frustrating and nobody knows your numbers as well as you do which means there will always be moments when you're like oh no that's not what it ah yeah. if you haven't got sort of fresher air to lift your head up into then i think it can become very oppressive very quickly um and then i guess the last thing the last thing very wrapped up in that first one is is red lines and everything else and yeah, then yeah. where you put all the rest of it the last thing is um i'm going to swear mildly um okay. it's just <laughs> is not to be a, not to be a dickhead about it i think <laughs> too many conversations let alone negotiations are thrown off because somebody is a bit of a a bit of a bellend or a bit of a yeah and it's like don't don't do that you know this is none of this is personal none of this is is that it's all about a thing that is worth something meeting another thing that wants something and working out what the best possible version of that looks like Um, and both parties have it in it to to be not great from a personality point of view about that but if if you sort of remember that you don't need to be needy or defensive. You don't need to be aggressive or punchy. And you certainly don't need to imagine that the others are going to be like that before it happens. Yeah. You know, play play the man, not the not the plan. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. no it may, I understand what you're saying. Definitely, yeah. Cool. Dan, uh, that was brilliant. That was a really enjoyable, fun discussion. And thanks for being honest, open and transparent. Um, where can cool. people find out more about kind of Creature and what you do? Uh, creaturelondon.com is is our London site uh, creatureamsterdam.com our, our Amsterdam site but also I'm always very happy for people to just email me uh, dan at creaturelondon.com um, or on the LinkedIn's or I, I, I'm on Twitter occasionally um, but yeah it's, it's I was talking this morning to um, a, a guy called James Cross who's literally today started an agency called Meanwhile based up in Manchester and I, we've never met but I sort of have said if I can help with anything then please do because I think this industry has it in it to be brilliant. It has it in it to be incredibly frustrating. When it's brilliant is when we talk and we help each other when we're open. So if, if anybody did want to chat or ask or query or question, then I'm always very happy to. Dan, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.